Welcome to the next episode of Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford, where we discuss all things college admissions. Joel and I have been having conversations about college admissions for years, and now we bring those to you. Our goal is to provide information to you, the listener, about the world of college admissions, the processes involved, and the current issues that are a part of the journey to post-secondary education. I'm Chris Reeves, independent college counselor and proudly school counselor at St. Henry District High School in Erlanger, Kentucky. And I'm here with Joel Ford, school counselor at Connor High School in Hebron, Kentucky. Today with us is Mike Fiergowski, English teacher at Indian Hill High School in Cincinnati, Ohio, and podcast producer, and now occasional contributing co-host who has been with us now for an associate degree's length of time. Congratulations, Mike. Well learned. Today's episode is going to be a big one as we go back to something we first introduced all the way back in episode one, but we really wanted to come back and take a detailed look at for today's episode, the case for two-year colleges as a post-secondary option. We're going to take a look at this, Joel, a couple of different ways. So two-year colleges from the perspectives of academic viability, financial viability, and importantly, credit transferability. Okay. So we're going to start today's episode a little differently than we normally do. Um, We're actually going to just dive right into this because this is a topic that uh, comes up quite a bit when Chris and I are on the phone talking about. So no games today? No games? Um, No guess that college? Not trying to trick Chris into guessing the wrong school? Nothing like that? this This is too big. So Um, We're going to get right into it, Chris. I know this is one topic that you've really got some strong feelings about. Yeah, you could could say that. You could say that. Uh, Listen, I don't know what gets in my crawl so much, but but there's one thing I can't stand. It's somebody acting superior, just thinking you're better than someone else. And with two-year colleges, trust me, that's that's what's happening. That's out there. A dual credit class from a two-year college – doesn't look as strong as a dual credit class from a four-year college. So many companies require a bachelor's degree for entry-level positions that aren't even related to the job. They just have to have a bachelor's degree. You, you talk to a family about having their child start their education at a two-year school. You just bring it up, Joel, and you're happy there's a desk between you. So you can stop the parent from jumping across the desk at you. And I have had that. They, they practically want to slap you in the face. And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, two-year two schools are great options. And then the underlying message is, but, but not for my kid. I mean, there are great options out there, but not for my kid. My kid's going to a real college. Mm-hmm. Then you have four-year schools thinking their credits are better than two-year schools. I've even seen where where the same professor is teaching at a two-year school and a four-year school, and then and then that class doesn't transfer mm-hmm. to the four-year school. Are you kidding me? I mean, I I'm, I'm at a loss sometimes. So yeah, it, it really it really bothers me. Well, what do you think that's actually saying, Joel? Same professor. It's saying no, no, no. Uh, and, and I don't think it's money. I don't think it's the four-year school saying, oh, we're going to gain more revenue by, by making someone take our classes. I think they're saying our classes are better mm. because we're the four-year, and they're the lowly two-year. Our teachers are better. Our curriculum's better. Our students are better. That's, that's the message I get from, from these things not counting. 
So if a university won't transfer a credit, that's exactly, it's exactly what they're saying. Unless, unless they're really trying to make more money, but it's still, like I said, I, I don't think it's that. I, I think that, that it's at least arrogance and not greed that motivates, that motivates these decisions. Joel, I need some water. Where's my Diet Coke? <laughs> I, I want to quit ranting about problems, though. I want to get to solutions. Can, can we do that? Can you talk for a minute? Sure. So here are two examples that, that I deal with on a daily basis where I think community colleges, at least the ones in our area, um, are thought of in a positive manner by the public. Um, and maybe it's a Kentucky thing, and we'll get into that later. Um, because I feel like in Kentucky, we have a really good setup between our two-year community college system and our, our public universities. But um, in our school district, um, as an example, we have a dual credit program. We have many dual credit programs, but we have one that we call early college, um, where students from the various high schools in our district take classes from three different institutions, Northern Kentucky University, Thomas More University, and Gateway Community and Technical College. All the classes are taught at Gateway, and the majority of the classes are offered by Gateway. Um, but the other universities will send professors to Gateway's campus uh, to teach um, classes as well. It's an opportunity for students to experience college-level coursework in a college setting. And for some of our students and parents, the cost combined with the opportunity to earn an associate's degree while in high school is a really good opportunity and it's too good to pass up. Uh, many parents and students will comment after the fact how much they appreciated the program. Um, and when they move on to a four-year college, they're more prepared to finish and graduate on time. Um, we also have students uh, on our campus in our Boone County Area Technology Center that participate in programs such as diesel technology, welding, metal fabrication, automotive technology, uh, machine tool technology, electrical technology, and health sciences. And our local two-year college allows those students to earn dual credits while still in high school. Then when students graduate, many companies have recruited them for jobs and will send them back to school for more training. So that's a good thing as well. So to me, both of those examples show two-year colleges in a positive light. And if they work for those situations, they can work well for any students, as long as people work to tell those stories of success which is why we're here today talking about yeah, it. Yeah, we are. I just had a senior uh, come in on Friday. Uh, the Friday. Well, it won't be Friday when you listen to it, but two days ago before we're <laughs> recording, and we were talking about two-year colleges to save money. Um, and her plan would be to start at a two-year college and then move on to a four-year college and finish that degree. So I'm right there with you, Chris. This is a topic we've got to talk more about. This week I had two. Just, just, just as, and I'm only, I only work at St. Henry three days a week, and I had two. We're, we're trying to meet with every senior before, before, mm -hmm. um, you know, certain deadline here, and two of them. One was accounting, and said, "I've talked to my parents. I'd like an accounting degree, and I want it to be as inexpensive as possible." And I, I was talking about Gateway, and he hadn't looked deep enough to see the the Gateway to NKU program, and it's already lined up. It's an actual two plus two. Right. Done. Another kid wants film film studies and was looking at no, I had three. So film studies looking at Cincinnati State, then transferring to UC. And then I had an engineering kid wanting to look at some Cincinnati State stuff 
that would then ultimately go over to to UC. I get I about jump out of my chair when I when I when the student brings that up as as an option because they often don't. I had a question for you on the two. I, I'm familiar with the two examples you had, especially with the ATC. Sure. There, are all those dual credit classes free, or do they do those students pay like get two free like mine do when they just take it kind of one by one? Yeah. So um, a few years ago, the previous governor um, wanted to really expand uh, dual credit for students, and so they set it at a percentage of what a community college credit costs. Um, so basically this year... Um, oh, the discount. The, 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 the discounted. discounted. Okay. So right. this year, um, no matter whether it's at a two-year community college or four-year college, a, a dual credit rate, it's $72 a credit hour. So 216, 216. Plus, plus fees um, for a class. For a class. Any, for right. a class, three-credit hour class. Plus, plus any books or anything, um, plus the state of Kentucky through our Kentucky Higher Education Assistance Authority, KIA, um, has worked with the state to provide a dual credit scholarship um, in which kids can get up to two classes two free. Two classes free. That's it, every their, student. They don't apply. In their high they school can, career. They, yeah. There's also a work-ready scholarship um, for more technical classes and technical programs that can provide even more scholarship money on top of that. Um, so essentially, if you do the math, um, an associate's degree would cost a high school student if they plan it outright. Um, usually it runs somewhere in the, the five, six thousand dollars range uh, for two years. For an entire associate degree. Yeah. Well, I like the positive talk about this. This is what we need to be talking about and celebrating mm -hmm. for sure. Um, I'll tell you what. You know how you know how we always say the best part of our episode is when we're not talking as much. Absolutely. <laughs> let's let, let's <laughs> let's let's take a let's take a break, and when we come back. Let's let's jump into it with 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 our with our amazing guests. But first, this reminder that get schooled by Reeves and Ford is part of the NACAC College Admissions Podcast Hub, Ooh. where you can find a variety of podcasts that delve into the world of college admissions. Check out our good friend, Raymond Blakely's RB's 300 Second Podcast. It's a good one. It is really good. It's a good and, one. I mean, I routinely waste five minutes of my day, like totally wasted, just for no reason. I don't even know how I waste. I mean, it's lots of five-minute uh, spans. But, but each episode is five minutes of inspiration, and Raymond's the man. Uh, I, didn't tell you this, I didn't tell you this, Joel, but he's probably going to be inviting us on. Whoa! Did you know that? No! I was saving that for right now. Oh my gosh! Uh, but two and a half minutes each. <laughs> <laughs> Three minutes for me, two for you. All right, Whatever. let's take a break. We'll be right back with more Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Chris, when I was thinking about this episode at first, I was thinking about why I think two-year colleges, especially the ones in Kentucky, our home state, are such a good option. And for me, it comes down to being able to transfer credits and being affordable, um, especially for students who are Pell eligible. 
where at least here in Kentucky, a full Pell Grant can cover a year of tuition and books at any of our Kentucky community and technical college system colleges. But then I got to thinking, maybe that's just a Kentucky thing. So <laughs> it might be, might be. So let's just get into some specifics. Why don't we talk about why two years are a good option nationally across the board? Uh, maybe, just maybe, there's somebody out there that knows a lot about two-year colleges <laughs> and why they're academically viable, good for transferring credits, and financially smart. Chris, where could we find somebody like that? Gee, I don't know. How about this? Pretty sure I know somebody. I'd like to introduce our guest for today on the Get Schooled podcast, Dr. Janet Marling. Janet is the executive director for the National Institute for the Study of Transfer Students and associate professor of education at the University of North Georgia. She has a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology from Texas Christian University, a Master of Science degree in counseling psychology from the University of Southern Mississippi, and a PhD in higher education administration from the University of North Texas. Janet has also served as a board director for NACAC, and today she can add to her resume that she's been a guest on the Get Schooled podcast. Welcome, welcome, Janet. Hello, and thank you for the opportunity to not only visit with the two of you, but also your audience. How fun. We hope the audience likes it. And like, again, we know, we know they're going to be excited now because we have someone who knows what they're talking about, which is, which is, which is not always, not always the case. Can we dive into academic viability? Cause I'm just, I'm all wrapped up in this, in this stereotype that people have about, about two year schools. And maybe you can get, just give us some insight on some general, you know, we, we'd sent you some questions before, some things we kind of been thinking about, but types of classes offered at a two year institution accreditation just like lay it out for us school us a little bit on two-year schools you got it i you know i think i come from this with a unique perspective as the executive director of nists we're really interested in just that transfer pathway and a lot of times it does start at the two-year institution so what i have to share today comes from lenses of both studying and looking at two-year institutions and four-year institutions and most importantly that link between the two such that students can move deftly between those institutions. So I appreciate you um, seeing me as an expert. I've certainly learned a lot over the last 20 years of being affiliated with NISTS. And, mm -hmm. you know, when we think of two-year institutions, your state really has a unique model in the sense that it does combine the community college and the technical college into one system. So I wanted to just start by saying that whenever we say two-year institution, let's define that a little bit. So it could be a technical college, it could be a community college. It could be a combination like you see in um, in Kentucky. It could also be a state college like we see often in um, Florida or here in Georgia. Um, also, there are still junior colleges out there in name, although most institutions are moving away from that designation um, and just kind of that vernacular around junior, um, setting up some of those stereotypes that we're about to talk about. But there are about a hundred, uh, excuse me, a thousand 44, about, about 1,044 <laughs> two-year institutions. Okay. They're, they're public institutions, tribal colleges, and independent colleges. So, you know, that's just a wide swath of types of institutions. So when you think about those classes offered, they could be non-credit bearing classes that are more professionally development oriented. They may result in a certificate. 
They um, may be some of those career and technical college programs that you think about that are moving people into directly into careers. Also, we think a lot about those general education classes, those classes that would set you up for that associate degree completion and then potentially transfer into a university or a four-year setting. But did you all know that two-year institutions in the the year 2019-2020 um, or actually 2018, 2019, awarded 20,700 baccalaureate degrees at two-year institutions. So no, the, I didn't not, know. Yeah. So the complexion of two-year institutions is really changing, and what two-year institutions have to offer across the country is also morphing right now. Are, are more people going? Well, I would have a different answer pre-pandemic than I do currently. And, um, you know, historically, we think of two-year institutions as that place that people go back to in times of economic decline. That has not been the case um, with this current situation between the pandemic and the economic recession. Um, we have found that students are really and truly just kind of not attending um, they're they're stopping out. We would have seen, we would have anticipated that students from four year institutions were flocking to two year because it was less expensive, or they needed to come home closer to their families. We just see that students have just kind of put education on pause right now. So we're seeing a significant dip in enrollment overall at community colleges and two year institutions. Pretty significant, to be honest with you. Um, you know, in the in the vicinity of nineteen to twenty one percent. So oh, that's wow. that's really wow. significant. Um, and what what makes us really nervous about that is, are we going to regain those students in, into higher education? Because whenever you think about who those students are, they are typically our first generation students and students of color. And uh, in that, particularly black males are not persisting um, at this particular time. So when you think about access and when you think about equity, we really are creating a situation right now where there are lots of question marks. We were doing so well prior to the pandemic and increasing enrollment at two-year institutions and, and helping that equity um, raise. But unfortunately, we're, we're in this really weird phase right now. Um, is, my, is my premise and thought and, and frustration I see with the stereotypes of two-year schools, is that off base? Like, am I just like living 15 years in the past? <laughs> You know what? You're not, Chris. To be honest with you, I love your passion around this. Like, come on, guys. Let's take a look at this. Let's let's make sure that we're we're working with facts and not fiction whenever it comes to institutions. Because whenever you think about, um, let's you mentioned accreditation. Whenever you um, sent me some questions, and it was like, okay, well, let's look at the accreditation process. Is it different for a two year and a four year? And the answer is no. It, right. it depends upon the type of institution that you're looking at because you can be accredited from a regional perspective a faith-based perspective, or potentially that just notion of um, workforce perspective. So there are lots of ways that two-year institutions are accredited. And the same bodies that are accrediting four-year institutions are also accrediting two-year institutions. So they're being held to the same standards of academics, um, financial viability as an institution, uh, personal, like um, inter- looking at themselves from an assessment perspective right. and ensuring that they're, they also are financially viable. So, you know, that there's parity between that for sure. So, um, you know, but that, that stereotype definitely persists and we, I can, I can take that whichever direction you all want to go. Well, okay. 
qualifications of professors. So, mm -hmm. okay, if, if, if someone's going to look at, well, I, I, I would rather go to a four-year school because I'm going to get better professors. Okay. Is that, so is that, is that true or not? That's a loaded question. <laughs> um, you know, we happen to, I be, I'm, I'm currently situated close to the university of Georgia. Um, and you know, when you think about folks who are being, uh, PhDs that are coming out of the university of Georgia, let's say in the English department, it is documented that, that students out of that program are working at universities. They're working at state schools. They're working in two-year programs. They're working in four-year programs, all equally qualified. They all received their degree from the state flagship institution, and they have chosen different paths. And I think that's the important thing to remember is that when you think about a community college, oftentimes those two-year institutions are focused on teaching as opposed to research. And that goes back to personal preference. If you have a faculty member who's really interested in being very student focused and really has crafted kind of the teaching and learning um, pedagogy, that may be what lights their fire. It may be for somebody else that they want to be at a research institution where they can conduct studies and can be more, um, you know, more adjacent to student involvement. Um, so you just have to think about what is a professor's motivation? That's where they're going to end up, but that doesn't make them less qualified to do what they do. Right. I mean, one could almost argue someone who's more passionate about teaching could, not, not necessarily always, could provide a better classroom experience. Right. You're right. And your point earlier was one that I had planned on making too, was that we do have adjunct faculty members that are working at both two-year and four-year institutions using the exact same textbook. And um, I always find it interesting whenever those credits are, are questioned. Um, I also know of specific instances where two-year and four-year faculty members have gotten together dis to discuss, and this is from a transfer perspective, that whole curriculum alignment. And when the four-year faculty members went to the two-year and looked at their laboratory conditions, they were jealous because sometimes really? two-year institutions are newer. They have newer equipment. They have newer things at, at hand. And so therefore it's, it's like, wait a minute, we can't always assume that an, a university who is technically more quote unquote resource is going to have better equipment in that way. Um, the other thing that I always think about with uh, two-year institutions, especially in the sciences, is sometimes you get access to that laboratory equipment in a way that students at larger research institutions don't get because that's where the graduate students spend their time. Right. The way it's set up, a freshman, a freshman might have access to better facilities or equipment. It's possible. So, it's not right. standard and it's not always the case, but it is well, sure. certainly an option. Absolutely. Right. So we, it's never black and white. And that's what I think our point of our conversation today is, is that we can't make these overgeneralizations. So, so if the accreditation can be the same, right? the curriculum can be the same, right? the professor's credentials can be the same. <laughs> I hear you. Where are you going where, with this, Joel? <laughs> where is the stereotype still coming from? You know what is so interesting about this? I teach um, in a, a we have a postmasters 
certificate program in transfer leadership and practice. And the very first class, just this last week, um, we talked a lot about the history of transfer, et cetera. And we talked a little bit about the history of community colleges. And those stereotypes are rooted 110 years ago when community colleges and two-year institutions were established. And they were really um, looking at a way to extend the high school experience for two years for individuals to get that additional learning around a general curriculum. And then the, and that we called that lower division learning. And then the upper division was reserved for the next two years. And that was at the university level. So all of the resources nationally went into creating these behemoth institutions where they were um, looking at research and scholarship and they could cherry pick the students that they wanted to come study at these institutions. So they were developed for the common good of all citizens such that there was better access, quote unquote, to higher education. However, there was this barrier between how long that access could be um, attained. And that's where I think historically it has always been upper division versus lower division. And over the last 110 years, we've really seen that transfer is a viable pathway and that we've developed regional institutions and we're not always dependent upon these um, flagship institutions and more people are gaining access. But just because you have access doesn't mean that you have equal um, equity in this process. I have a theory that I was kind of thinking of this morning, and I, it, it's close to what you were saying, I think, Janet. I, I'm going to put it more like in a layman's way. You got I, it. I feel like the two-year schools give everybody a chance. Mm-hmm. And, and if, it's, if it's an open policy and you're giving everybody a chance, mm-hmm. then, then your graduation rates might not be as high. Correct. And then your data might not be as good. Great but, point. But, but, but you're giving everybody a chance. That's right. And then, and then, you know, your graduation rates aren't as high as another school who has mm-hmm. maybe more resources or has cherry picked the people who, who get to get to have access to that education. Mm-hmm. And then people can point to numbers and like, well, I'm not, I can't, I can't, I can't, this isn't a great, this is a terrible school. They're only graduating 17% of students or 21% of students. And, and I think the stereotype personally can come from, from numbers like that. But you, but in context, it's it's full access. If you mm-hmm. want to go to college, you can go to college. Mm-hmm. And that could be twenty one percent of students who wouldn't have attained a degree without With, that two year setting. Right. right? So, yeah. Depending on the angle you're looking at. But I I, I believe and I'm wondering, Janet, do you believe that, that that's part of where some stereotypes come from? It really is because data can be parsed out any way you want to. And you really have to look at what is the purpose of a two-year institution and um, being very clear and measuring apples to apples. And too often we see that um, that low um, graduation rate and make make some, you know, some pretty significant determinations around that. On the flip side, I do want to also acknowledge, though, that about 80% of students who start at a community college or two-year institution have some indication that they want to pursue a bachelor's degree. And six years later, we only see about 14% of those students who have actually done that. Now, again, here's where the data gets interesting. You can go, that's terrible, but that's a six-year window. Now, how many students who started a two-year institution are going full-time? 
how many of those students have can go um, consecutively. So let's be really honest about the fact that we have working students, we have other life in, the infringing pieces. So that six-year window isn't particularly fair. At the same time, though, we do still need to think about how best to help our students move from that two-year to that four-year in a way where they are being rewarded for their time, their money, and um, also just their experience and their intellect. I just, you know, I, we're not at solutions necessarily, but I do feel like if you're going to give everybody a chance, you def, you need robust advising, tutoring, right. counseling, yeah. supports. You got you, it. You can't, you can't just say, okay, you know, uh, this is a great affordable option for, for someone who is a first generation student, potentially low income and say, good luck. Here's your cheaper classes. Good luck. Great professors. We determined that. Good luck. I think I think it needs more support, and, and, exactly. and at least as much as provided at some of these other four-year schools, where you know they kind of hang their hat on here are all the things we do to keep kids for their sophomore year and and make kids successful. You know, it's really true, and and um, what we have found is as far as transfer and, and being really specific about how to support transfer students, we know that what works for them works for all students. I mean, it's just good practice. It's right. good practice right. around advising. It's a good practice around ensuring that there's financial aid available, but it's also helping them navigate their agency and helping them to see that they are bringing so much to the table. And too often we look at two-year institution students from a deficit mindset and we say, oh, they're fortunate to be here or look at us. We are, we're helping the masses. Well, these folks have a lot that they are personally bringing to the table. And sometimes we focus too much on helping them to be successful as opposed to saying they're successful, haven't seen this information before, haven't been in this situation before. How can we help them turn what they have already experienced in their, their lifetimes to make that useful in that transition to that four-year institution? Well, let's transition then. I think, I think, I think we have, I'm going to give ourselves an A plus on proving <laughs> academic viability, proving, proving academic viability of two-year schools. And, and let's transition. We've already talked some, but it's, it's hard not to overlap these, these conversations with, with finance, academics and and transferability, but this is definitely your wheelhouse and expertise. And I'd like to hear about the, the challenges of transferability. I always wonder, like, is it the faculty that doesn't want these things to be transferred? I'm maybe stereotyping them. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on on credit transferability. It is the number one challenge for students moving between institutions, okay. most definitely. Right. And okay. it and, and if you think of like a Maslow's hierarchy of needs, whenever you're talking about transfer, like those credits and making sure that those transfer in a way that are meaningful is really important. And I always encourage folks who are in admission and enrollment management to really not only talk about credits from a perspective of, of transferring, but also being applicable to a major or a viable okay. degree. Correct. Because so often students just say, well, my credits transfer. And we can oftentimes say, well, yes, of course they do. But the question isn't answered. How do they transfer then and how do they apply? So that's just a really important thing that students and parents don't always come to the table asking. So it's our responsibility as professionals to prompt them to do so. Um, You know, there are gatekeepers. And whenever we talk about accepting inequities, one of those is why do we allow for faculty members to be the the final say in what transfers and what does it? Is that true? Is that true? It it can. At at some institutions, it most definitely can. We have 
anecdotal evidence that would support that. And then it's just a procedural thing too. It's just at an institution, nobody really wants to evaluate credit. It might end up in the registrar's office. It might end up in the admission office. Sometimes it does end up in the academic departments. They tend to have that final say because they're evaluating syllabi. But there's always that sense in the back of their mind, well, what exactly did they learn at their previous institution? And it's not just the two-year. It can be the, another four-year institution because, again, sure, the way sure, I sure. teach is the only way there is to teach. So um, there definitely is that. But let's also be really honest in saying that not every credit will transfer, nor should it. You have different types of institutions. If you're at a faith-based institution and you're transferring to a non-faith-based institution, you're going to have classes that won't transfer and and articulate into anything besides perhaps um, electives. And when students change their minds about their majors, which they are, you know, certainly in in their rights to do, it affects the ability to actually bring in all the credits as well and or to have to um, change those. You also mentioned earlier about a student that you spoke with this last week related to somebody wanting to pursue business at the two-year institution. And there are is a really clear line between applied business classes and business classes for majors um, at the institu- at the four-year institution. So it can be a challenge for students who have gone through, and we, we, I honestly have evidence of a student who spent, who was the model student at the community college, went, did what they were supposed to do according to their, their um, degree plan, went a year in advance to talk to an advisor at their aspirational four-year institution, only to find out that all their business classes had been applied business classes that wouldn't transfer. So there's just a lot that advisors need to be really acute to asking, that um, the folks in admission need to be asking, what are the students' intentions? And so that helps us to understand how to guide them from the very beginning so that more of those credits do transfer, and then to help them understand when they don't transfer, why. And most often when you can explain that to a student rather than just automatically saying, well, 50% of your, your credits transfer and 50% don't, but you can explain to them why, most of the time they're okay with that because it is just a natural part of the process. Sure. I mean, advising is so critical. It is. So, so, so critical. are there states or university systems that that are good examples of, of good transferability? There definitely are. And you mentioned kind of the, the state level. There are different states that have put into play natural progressions, whether they're taking the entire core curriculum, that general ed curriculum, and transferring that as a package, or they have pathways that would say, if you attain your associate's degree, we accept you as a student coming in as a junior. So there are just some state state level things. But just next door to you all over in Ohio, our friends at Cuyahoga Community College have a really nice relationship with the folks at Columbus State, such that those transfer agreements, sometimes called articulation agreements, are well-developed and they they are well-communicated to students. Um, If you think about some larger programs, you can think about the state of Florida, um, University of Central Florida and their direct connect, um, connecting with multiple two-year institutions in the area where students have that direct pathway. Other institutions have what they consider co-enrollment. So you enroll in our institution and the four-year institution, you can attend um, any of the fine arts events, sporting events, borrow the library, yet you're taking your two-year classes 
um, with us and then moving over. And then, of course, there are those co-located institutions where the students start and finish at that same institution, right. but they have their associates in. And then in Georgia, we have a blended model where, particularly in my institution, the University of North Georgia, we offer the associate through the doctoral degree. So um, there are just lots of configurations where those internal pathways make it a little bit easier to transfer those, those courses. But partnerships, I will tell you, you could do a whole episode on partnerships. Partnerships are absolutely essential to right. making that pathway work for students. Sounds like sounds like you need your own podcast. You, like, <laughs> you know, you have your own episodes on these really detailed, granular yeah. looks I looks at, at these agreements. You're really good at this, so so you know, which is which is why which is why we that, need you on the show. That's why we're listening more than talking. I know, I know. <laughs> there's a there's a there's a school I worked with in the past year. Um, helped a lot of students with at the Craft Academy for Excellence and Science and Mathematics. It's located on Moorhead State's campus. And they take Moorhead State classes, and that's a four-to-four four transfer. Mm-hmm. And there, there are a couple schools in in Kentucky. These school, these kids are they're brilliant. I mean, they're 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 brilliant. They're in college, but in high school, so they're co-enrolled in their high school for two years mm-hmm. and at Moorhead State. And they do research as juniors in high school slash freshmen in college. There, there's a co- there are a couple institutions in the state. And, and I'm not going to say names, but if one of our good friends is listening, he's going to know who he is because we've talked about this. He promises that this particular school is working on transferring more credits. But even our kids going from four to four from the state university are not are not like this. This, this institution's private and they're just not taking the credits. Yeah. Like almost none of them. And those are those are important conversations, and it's just not fair. I mean, the way that that we look at it from a an access perspective and an equity perspective is when you aren't taking those classes, and when you're not honestly taking the time to understand why you're not taking those classes and really dig in, then um, you know when you look at higher education as a whole, are you truly working within the spirit of higher education, or are you just advancing your own um, agenda? I, I would phrase that in my mind as in my high school world, I guess, is, is are you student centered or not? That's right. That's right. And, you know, in this, this whole two year to four year transition or just two year and thinking about where do you go to college? It's really important that we look at that student as kind of the, the unit of analysis, right? Like we all talk about institutions and we say, where are you going to college? And, and it's all about, Oh, aren't you lucky to be there? Or, you know, it's all about, a student conforming to whatever that institution wants them to do. But in today's mobile society where almost 40% of all students will attend or will achieve credits from more than one institution, we need to look at higher ed as a journey in totality with stops along the way at institutions. And the student is the one who's in charge of that as opposed to the institutions who ask students to conform. So when you say being student centered, we ask our institutions student ready. And oftentimes they're not right. in the way that we would like for them to be. Those conversations need to continue to happen yep. on, on campuses. You know my story with my son, Jacob. Yes. Proud, proud as heck. Double, two transfers. Went yep. to Tennessee for a year, Thomasville University for a semester, no, a year. And then, and then University of Cincinnati for two. And now as an update, Janet, he is in his third year of law school at Stetson in Florida. <sighs> Love it. Yeah. He is such a, such a, just somebody to hold up as, look, just be persistent. This can happen. Yeah. And fit is so important. Yeah. So you know, important. the decision, the decision he made that was, that was really smart is 
he ended up majoring in economics at UC, but he chose the liberal arts version. Mm-hmm. And that the transferability of his credits greatly increased. He could not, he would have almost had to start over in the business department, yeah. which is a great department at UC, great department. Mm-hmm. But he would have been, he would have just about had to start over. Wow. And uh, but yeah, he's doing he's doing awesome. Graduate graduates graduates in May. Good for him. Hey, let's tackle the easiest one of these, which is the fi- financial viability. It's cheaper, a lot cheaper. For we again, we've already proven that it's academically viable. We've 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 argued that it should be easier to transfer credits, even even if schools have a less rigid gen ed requirements or something. I mean, whatever it would be to make things a little easier. But let's talk about the money a little bit. And, and again, this episode is called Making the Case for Two-Year School. So let's make the case. Money talks. So what are your thoughts on financial viability? You know, whenever we talk about access, it definitely talks with relation to getting students into higher education that would not have even remotely felt like it was possible right. to go to okay. school. So yes, from that perspective. And just because there's a price tag that looks different from a four-year institution, we have to be really careful about what that means. Are we helping students such that they're moving through, progressing in a way that is good for them? Or are they languishing at this two-year institution because they don't have a direction, they don't have good advising, and they're amassing credits that are not going to be helpful to them in the future? So whereas we look at two-year institutions as an opportunity for students to explore and learn about themselves, there has to be a limit to that such that they can then be moving forward, if that's their desired goal, in a way that then they can capitalize on that momentum at their next institution. Because we can see, and when those transfer pathways are bumpy and when we're not taking credits, that, that less expensive option it isn't. is kind of washed out it at that point. Right. So we have to be really clear when we're saying it's a great option for these students if they're not advised well, if they're not in a position to continue in a way and they don't have momentum that's then um, accepted at their next institution, they're, 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 the advantages have dissipated. No, you said that really, really well. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's only a value if they're progressing. Correct. It's, it's not a value Correct. if it's if it's not doing you any good. Right, right. And let's be honest, sometimes that student um, driven in the sense that they're not ready for that or they have other things in life that are pulling them away. And other times it's institution driven. So um, I, I always like to uh, not point fingers at institutions. Sometimes they're doing things really well. Other times things are beyond their control. And third, they've got a lot of work to do, too. When you have a podcast, Janet, you can just blast whoever you want. It's totally <laughs> oh, cool. cool. And, like and it. it's just recorded, so you don't have to talk back. You just <laughs> maybe get an email or something, but you can just say whatever you want. It's cool. I, no, I, just, I mean, you're, you're, you're exactly I right. I and, like and, this podcast thing. It's great. See? See? It, if they have progressed, return on investment. I mean, do you know – I, mean, I don't know if you've done any research on this yourself or people you know or read, but – Let's talk about return on investment because people who listen like to like to understand that term and value. 
Yes. I mean, I, I, I honestly can't spout the exact numbers from an economic perspective, sure, but sure. Um, I'm sad to say that I, I didn't prep for you in that way, but um, there are folks Neither did out I. there. Yes. Well, <laughs> there, there are folks out there that will, and again, I, I encourage your listeners to do their homework, look specifically in their academic disciplines, because that's right. where it counts. Right. Um, don't just look at the quote unquote value of a two-year degree. You need to figure out what it means in your area, in your geography region, because oftentimes one of the reasons that students start at a two-year is because they need to stay local. And if their next opportunity isn't um, close, then they've got some other factors they need to figure in. But um, look at the, again, I just encourage folks to look at the data where it matters to you, because it doesn't matter how it works in Minnesota if you live in Wisconsin, or it doesn't matter, you know, if these great programs in Texas and Florida and California don't matter if you're living in Missouri. So um, really important. We think about this as a really local phenomenon, to be honest. I'm just curious after hearing all of this, because I've intentionally kind of stayed quiet so I could learn a lot more. But, you know, we're we're making this case for two-year colleges. Where, Where do we go to make this case, like, who do we need to still be making this case to and, and where are the areas of improvement in this whole world of two-year colleges and transferability and, and all the things we've been talking about? Joel, you, Chris, and your other school college counselors are in an amazing position to make this different for a lot of your students. And I always talk about how this conversation needs to happen in middle school. The fact that families need to understand that two-year college is a viable option, not not only for the money, but for the quality of education that students can receive. Um, And and if we aren't convincing families that it's an option, and it's a a two-way street, it's those families, like Chris said in the intro, who would just absolutely not believe that it's for their precious student, um, but it's great for somebody else. And those students who just don't see that higher education is for them at all, but then didn't know that community college was even an option or two-year institutions were even an option. So it has to start way back um, in that, in that, um, you know, secondary kind of pathway. And then I, I think the more that we can tell stories of students different types of students who have been successful in that pathway, I think is really important. And it's not just the two-year to four-year. It could be a four-year back to the two-year, springboarding back to the four-year. It could potentially be somebody who started at a two-year, went to another two-year, and ended up at a four-year. So there are just lots of fluid ways that students can go to college. So I talk about it from a mobility perspective. We at NISCS believe that mobility is reality. It's only going to increase. So um, I think we have to talk to our families about that as well, is that it's it's natural. Students get somewhere and they don't like where they are. Even if it's an aspirational institution, they finally made it to that place. They wanted to go since they were two and a half years old and it's not a good fit. No harm, no foul. Find another place. And sometimes that's the two-year institution. Um, So anyway, I just think that there are lots of, of different ways that we could could promote this with folks. Absolutely. I think uh, speaking of quiet, I believe, I believe producer Mike has, has a question he'd like to ask you, Janet. Yeah, thanks. Um, and this is actually great. It kind of piggybacks on what you just said, but um, I was hoping that you could spotlight a few two-year schools that you feel are doing 
some really great work or have sort of unique programs that might maybe just kind of shatter the stereotypes that some listeners might have? A great place for our listeners to check out which institutions are doing a really good job is the Aspen Institute um, has kind of a showcase. And every year they, they, um, they acknowledge some of these folks who are doing really, really good work. Also, individuals, uh, there's another organization um, that, oh gosh, I can't believe I'm just blanking right this millisecond, but the Aspen Institute does a really good job of, of, of designating, you know, five or six folks every year who are doing really good work. I mentioned Cuyahoga Community College once before. They are folks who have fallen into that category. There are folks in, um, you know, in New York that are falling into that category. So just, you know, I, I whereas I, I want to elevate those folks. I also want to say that they don't have to have those designations to be really good institutions in your own backyard. And I think sometimes what happens in these conversations is we see folks that are extremely well resourced, like they've gotten grants over time. And then the local institution says, well, we can't possibly be that good because we don't have those types of resources. When in reality, if you have a leadership that's committed to being student-centric and at a two-year institution is willing to accept multiple missions because you have the career technology focus at all two-year institutions and that transferability at those institutions as well. So taking on both missions equally seriously, I think is is a good way. So if you're if your listeners are looking to see where can I go and what can I get out of my two-year experience, ask those questions like what what is the transferability rate out of this institution and specifically in my major and who do I get to talk to about transfer? And um, I just think that those are important things. So in a minute, I want to share with you three ways to kind of maximize your two-year experience for those who are considering that pathway. But I appreciate the question, Mike. And I always get really hung up on that and I'm answering that question because I think it's loaded. Um, there are folks doing really good work and then there are folks who, who get a lot of press and sometimes people feel like they can't match that level of, of excellence, if you will. Let's move to those. I want to hear, I want to hear those tips. All right. This, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Okay. No sweat. Well, listen, I encourage anyone starting in a two year institution, whether they are directly from high school or coming back as a working adult um, or adult learner with some credit, no degree, or just starting fresh, state your intentions early and often. And the reason I say that is even some of these really well-respected community colleges are a little slow on thinking about transfer, and they might wait until the second year to start talking about it, when in reality, the classes that you take from the beginning shape what you can transfer and shape where you're headed. So tell anybody and everybody that you want to go to this school or you want to go in this degree program, how can you help me get there? Like be super proactive. Love it. Second, take advantage of the opportunities that have been designed for you. The greatest thing about two-year institutions are they are so good at meeting students where they are. They work with a variety of students from multiple backgrounds with different levels of abilities. So therefore, they are ready for you. They are ready for you. And they have great opportunities. We talked earlier about some of the science areas, the clubs and the organizations where you can get some hands-on experience and already get to do research. They have honors programs at two-year institutions. You might find yourself able to experience maybe a fine arts thing that you've always wanted to dabble in. Those 
things give you confidence. They help you experience trying new things at a little bit lower price point that you, you can then parlay into something really cool at the four-year institution. Also, the tutoring, the um, online uh, different opportunities for you, just, just take advantage. And then third, operate with an asset mindset. And what I mean by that is don't think that you're just going to the two-year to get your basics and then you're going to move on. Or don't feel like you had to start there because you weren't ready to go to the next institution. That is an amazing place for you to start. You are going to learn so much, but you have to be ready to learn it. This is not a second-class opportunity. This is your first opportunity to set yourself on a pathway to success in higher education. That's beautiful. I love that. I like that. I wrote all three down. So did I. I was taking notes. Yeah. I'm definitely taking notes. Right here. Is there any, I mean, I, Joel. Chris, could I, could I just make one comment between the two of us? Yeah. Uh, I, I think I knew this before, but I think after listening to this episode, like, I feel like we're, we're really lucky in our state. Um, to, oh the, yes, we are. The relate, you know, and I know, I know people listen to us from all over the country, and now in fifty countries. That's but, right. Um, just just listening to some of the the issues related to this, I I feel lucky that I think some of those have been mm-hmm. um, dealt with, and and there is a partnership between our KCTCS system and There's our a lot of work. Public a University. lot of work. There was a lot, a lot of work, work went that went that. into that. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, I concur. I, I concur. And I'm glad that you're making that point. Absolutely, yeah. Joel. Um, I just, uh, you know, and, and even our, our two-year institutions um, over in Ohio and Indiana, just because we're in that, that area, Tri-state, that part of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. But I just feel like we've got a lot of good options for, for our mm-hmm. students, Chris. Yes. Um, and it, this episode's just kind of helped to reinforce that. Yeah, no, I have a great appreciation for a shout out to all the KCTCS schools mm-hmm. in Kentucky. You guys are doing a great job and, and all the other schools in the state are as well. Is it time, Joel, to take a break? I think. I think it's time. Um, Janet, wow. You're the greatest. We, we've, we've been schooled. <laughs> uh, we have we been have schooled. That's been schooled. true. That is so that, true. We have been schooled, and we are so lucky to have had you on today. Um, and come back anytime. Um, let Chris know if you want to get schooled T-shirt. We'd love to send you one. Awesome. And, uh, we'll take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, it's time for our four. Nope, make that five lenses. Thanks, y'all. It's been a real pleasure. Welcome back to Get Schooled by Reeves and Ford. Dude, that was awesome. Indeed. Once again, I mean, the best part of the podcast yeah. is when we shut up and listen. You I know. You have you <laughs> have you have the student perspective. You just need to say when you get to this lens, the student lens, like go back to Janet's notes. Right. All right. Uh, let's do our four no five lenses to address all types of listeners we have on this podcast. All right, Chris, get us started. If you're an independent or school counselor, independent or school counselor, please, please, please don't act like a two-year school is a backup. Celebrate your two-year schools. Make them part of everything. Make educating your students and families 
part of your everyday practice. Educating these families about two-year schools and these as options, that's just part of all the options. It's not a, it's just a different option. And, and it's just part of everything you do. It takes time to understand the transferability of credits for particular institutions, especially ones students would commonly go to in, in your area. And please be careful as you speak about two-year schools. Try not to send messages, messages that, that treat them less than. If you're at a university, and for today, we're going to talk specifically to four-year colleges and universities. So if you are a four-year college and university, one, if you aren't already working in close contact with your two-year not-for-profit institutions in your area, you need to be doing so. Two, if you don't have your transfer policies listed and easily accessible on your website, you need to be doing so. Three, if you don't have an online system in place that allows students to see how those credits would transfer, you need to be doing so. Four, if you are a financial aid office who's working with students and families and you aren't mentioning the possibility of starting at a two-year not-for-profit institution to help finance college, you need to be doing so. I just feel like I got in trouble. Good job, Joel. Well, if you're a parent, sometimes the financial argument is all you need. But if that doesn't factor into your college choice, consider the case for two-year schools. Some of the associate degrees lead to amazing jobs, uh, such as my wife's job in the allied health fields as a physical therapist assistant. Um, realize that after a transfer, uh, the final the final degree is is the one on the wall. Realize success for your child will will not be due to what name is on a paper anyway. And for if look, if for any number of reasons a certain four year college is a four year college is a better fit, fine, go for it. It's just consider and don't let perception get in the way of considering what kind of fit a two year school might have. And finally, if you're a student, community colleges are great and can be great for you for a variety of reasons, many of which we've already talked about today. Don't discount attending a two-year college. It's all about the journey to your final destination and your degree, and you can get there first by utilizing, you can get there by first utilizing a two-year college. And if, if that's the route for you, go for it. Uh, for some, maybe the two-year college isn't the right fit, but for others, it may be the perfect starting fit. And I love so, Janet's comment about mobility. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's fluid. It's just, you're, you're moving here and there, up and down, left, right, whatever. It's just about mobility going through this process yep. of higher education. All right. One more lens. Mike. And the final fifth lens. If you're a teacher, re-examine your own perceptions of two-year colleges. The stereotypes are rooted in the past and are just plain bogus. The professors are qualified, the curricula are aligned, and the facilities comparable or better. We're not college counselors, but at the same time, students do occasionally come to us for advice. Speak about two-year schools in the same breath as four-year schools, and understand that, like gap years, two-year colleges are great fits for a wide range of your students. That's good stuff. Thanks, Good man. stuff. You know what's even better? Chris's final words of wisdom for the day. Chris, you're going to finish this up. What do you have for us today? 
Joel, sometimes the word of wisdom is not necessarily connected to the topic of the episode. I, I try to take inspiration from my life and what I'm observing in the present. The, fra- the phrase this week is, is thank a teacher. Uh, my, my daughter recently started teaching kindergarten and first grade special education at a, at a local lower income school. Uh, in the first two weeks, she's had a first grader bring a knife to school, then run away four or five behavior plans, and a parent who says, when he acts like that, I just knock the blank out of him. We're family friendly here at Get Schooled. If you listen to this podcast and your counselors like us, we, we get to do the easy stuff. Yeah, kids, kids have issues and sometimes severe ones, but the fact that they can think, read, and write, not us. It was teachers. They laid the foundations, and trust me, they were in the trenches. I taught for four and a half years, but that's, that's nothing. Uh, now I get to meet with students and families who already value education. Uh, if the teachers, it's the teachers who get the job done. As I watch my 23-year-old daughter keep her sense of humor as she tells her stories, uh, I see the energy and positivity these kids need. She's remarkable, and so is everyone else in, in her building every day. Tens of thousands, I didn't do the math, maybe hundreds of thousands of dedicated, thoughtful, purposeful people go into work and do what they do without asking for much. Today, the guys that get schooled pay tribute to the teachers who prepare students for the work we do. Thank you all for doing what you do. Absolutely. Um, Every day, whether it's COVID world or not COVID world, you bring, bring your best every single day. So. Chris, excellent words of wisdom today. Mike, thank you, because you are in the classroom um, doing it every single day. And remember, you can always listen. Oh, breaking news, 3.2 million teachers. Thanks, there Mike. There you go. All right. There thanks, Mike. In the U.S., according to Google. Top sources. Re- Top sources, re- Google. 3.2 million. I love million. reading these little uh, messages coming up on the screen. I do, too. And remember... You can always listen to Get Schooled on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon. You can follow us on Twitter at at GetSchooled3 and on the internet at www.askmrreeves.com slash GetSchooled. Awesome. And realizing that a quick Google search could have improved my words of wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Joel, tell tell our listeners about our next episode. So... This was gonna. This one's gonna be a good one. We talked you about. You say this. that every time we. Say I know, but every, every episode is a good one. <laughs> it's gonna be a good one. It's gonna be a good. One. This episode's gonna stink, people. No, <laughs> it's gonna be great. It's gonna be great. That's true. We talked about this topic all the way back in episode eleven, but that was in what now seems like a completely no different time period. No doubt. In that episode, we looked at test optional policies, and we wanted to know if it was a fad or a future trend. Well, the future is now, and we'll look at test optional current and post-COVID, talk about whether or not the test optional policies have impacted admissions, and what the future looks like for the ACT and SAT in terms of college admissions. I know you and I, Chris, spoke yesterday, and we both commented that it seems like this is the most discussed topic in our offices that we're seeing with our students. Um, So... Next time, let's get into test optional admissions 2.0. With to the send or not to send. Right. 
with the VP for Enrollment Management at George Mason University and former NACAC president, David Burge. Next time on Get Schooled by Reason Ford. expressed by the hosts of the Get Schooled by Reason for podcast are their own and are not necessarily representative of any groups or schools to which they belong. Holy crap, that's good stuff.